0: New Comics Day, Wednesday, June 24th, 2015, and you're listening to God and Comics. Jesus loves you, but Batman is still going to break your face. <laughs> On today's show, what makes for great art in comic books. We'll talk about our favorite artists and what they contribute to the comic book medium. We'll also talk about some of the philosophical... And even theological dimensions of art. And if we do our jobs right, you'll be able to draw your own
1: conclusions.
0: (laughs) I'm Father Jonathan Michikan, Rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And also on the line today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm at Christchurch, Cooperstown in New York. So we begin, as always, with our recommendation. Um, and this week's recommendation is from Father Matt. What do you got for us, Father Matt?
2: Well, I, I've been reading, uh, and I just finished it this week, um, that it was a series published by Marvel Comics starting back, in 2001 and it, it, it was a part of their max imprint um, which is their their adult uh, series of, of, of comics and it was called alias the alias comic book many of you um, might be familiar with the upcoming netflix series uh jessica jones well the the alias uh, comic book is 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 the book in which the Jessica Jones uh, Netflix series is is based off of. Jessica Jones is uh, a private detective, and um, she's a private detective that used to be a superhero. She was a superhero named Jewel, Something very traumatic happens to her, which is revealed later in the series. And she she just decides to call it quits with the whole superhero business. So instead, she opens up her own private detective agency. Jessica is a very cynical young woman given to um, fits of temper. She she's she's pretty lonely. She's always kind of like looking for her, her true love. She's a fascinating character, multi-dimensional character, and 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 one that we probably should have talked about last week when we talked about uh, women in comics, because she's definitely one of the um, the most interesting, multi-dimensional uh, female superhero or protagonist in comic books that uh, that I've come across. It, the, the series is written by. Brian Michael Bendis, who also wrote Daredevil and uh, The Ultimate Spider-Man. He's a fantastic writer. I think this was really sort of a labor of love for him. It ran for about 28 issues. The series basically follows Jessica in, in her various cases. Different characters from the Marvel Universe will pop up, like J. Jonah Jameson, Ben Urich, and uh, Spider, Spider-Woman, both the Maddie Franklin and the Jessica Drew version of Spider-Woman, Captain America, the Avengers. But it, it's sort of a look at the Marvel Universe from the perspective of the ordinary person. Even, even though Jess is a superhero, I mean, she has powers. She's renounced that. So, and she hardly ever uses her powers unless in a pinch. She actually has the ability to fly, but she's, um, she says at one point she's not terribly fond of flying because she's never really sure how to land. <laughs> and she's like, it's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> so she doesn't really fly all that much, and, and um, she's a chain smoker, and she has a, a number of romances throughout the series. One uh, of which is with Scott Lang, who is, is the Ant-Man. It's the Ant-Man that they're using for the, the upcoming movie, which is, it's interesting to me because I think, well, um, will, will the Ant-Man appear in the Netflix show? I, 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 he plays a pretty big part in the series. The other uh, man in her life is Luke Cage. Luke Cage is, um, the, the, uh, the hero for hire. And they both, at one point in the series, are serving as a bodyguard for Matt Murdock, who's uh, Daredevil's secret identity. It's just a fantastic book. Completely well written. It makes me very excited for the Netflix show, because the comic book itself is very cinematic. Binge reading the series almost felt like binge watching uh, like a Netflix TV
0: show. That brings us to our main topic today, which is art in comics and what makes great art and we want to talk about the various dimensions of that and uh who our favorite artists are and why let's start with uh father kyle who who are your favorite artists and and what makes for great art for you
1: you know i've been giving this a lot of thought over the last couple of days and i'd probably say that um my favorite artists are um what I would categorize in some ways as kind of classic comic book artists. I really, really enjoy Dick Sprang's artwork from the Batman comics in the 1940s and 50s, and um, and I really like Jim Aparo from mm-hmm. if that's how you pronounce it uh, from the 1980s run on Batman, even up through the 90s. I think he was still drawing on there, and John Romita Sr um with his classic art on spider-man i like stuff that's very clean i like things that have um i'm not an artist so it's hard for me to put some of these things into words uh things that have have some of that comic booky feel to them but at the (laughs) same time have a little bit of a of a realistic edge to them as well
0: if you had to if you had to pick one that you'd pick one of those guys
1: Yeah, I would probably. I mean, I would have to add into the mix um, Todd McFarlane. But I I think out of those four, I would probably have to pick one of those guys to be my favorite artist. And I don't know who. That's a tough call.
2: So, Father Kyle, you mentioned two very popular Spider-Man artists, uh, John Romita Sr. and Todd McFarlane both very well known for for drawing spider-man but both have a a very different style
1: Do you have a preference between the two if i had to boil it down to one answer i would probably say that i like john romita senior the better just because his spider-man is is iconic his Mm spider-man's the spider-man that you still see printed everywhere today when they default to a spider-man but I still, I do love Todd McFarlane's fluidity. That's the one thing that I really love about his art. Is Spider-Man's gangly and bug-like in a way yeah. that that John Romita Sr. you know never never interpreted the character. He definitely interpreted uh, interpreted him a little bit more as a man and as a common superhero. Um, so I would probably say John Romita Sr. just because of the fact that that's the the iconic Spider-Man. I would
2: have to say John Romita too. Now I think Todd McFarlane did some very interesting things with with Spider Man. He certainly sort of changed the way he's depicted today. So Spider Man mm-hmm. ha- generally has bigger eyes now, right. and you know he's he has his feet over his head and he's you know mm-hmm. kind of contorted more and stuff like that. And he also did what's been dubbed the spaghetti webbing, um, right. You know, which which is almost more believable to be shooting out of like a web spinner. Yeah, Um, which, you know, and so I I really like the way Todd McFarlane drew Spider-Man. And I was a huge fan when I was a kid. He was he was definitely my favorite Spider-Man artist. But now looking back, I have to say overall, I think John Romita was by far the better artist because not only could he draw Spider-Man, but he could draw Peter Parker, too. Right. And he could draw all the supporting characters. In fact, you know, he drew them just as well as he drew the superheroes. I can't say the same for Todd McFarlane. Todd McFarlane's Peter Parker and Mary Jane, you know, he he was great when it came to drawing the superheroes, mm-hmm. but he wasn't so great when it came to drawing you know, the supporting cast or or, or Peter Parker. John Ramita sort of had like, you know, Peter Parker had a look. He mm-hmm. had that little curl on his head that looked kind of like a spider face, you know. He right. you know, he did that whole look, and you you could always tell it was Peter Parker, you right. know. Yeah, I John Romita might be my favorite Spider-Man artist.
0: Father uh, Matt, who would be your your favorite uh, artist or uh, favorite artists uh, overall?
2: One name stands out above all the others for me, and that's Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby will always be the king. <laughs> you know, Jack the King Kirby. He he kind of invented the look of the modern comic book. You know, his art just it explodes from the page it overflows you know from the beginning he sort of had the most dynamic composition. He had elbows flying out of the panels and, you know, explosions, as well as inventing, you know, the most recognizable and beloved superheroes, in, 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 you know, in the Marvel universe, but uh, but also a lot over at DC too with the, with the new gods and, and, you know, Darkseid, who's sort of the um, Darkseid, which is sort of the iconic villain. For DC now and Jack Kirby always had you know that look with the gadgets and and things in the background the kind of the cosmic energy mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I used to I used to mimic that when I would draw comic books like you know I call it like Kirby energy The kind of um with the with the black kind of circles and it's floating all over the place um I, I, you know Kirby's just the best He's sort of the standard from which I judge all other artists. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I'd say Father Kyle and I uh, sort of have, the, from what you describe, very similar taste in comic book art. Um, yeah. You know, I kind of like the classic look, the like the bold kind of comic book look. Yeah. Um, I tend to like artists like Kirby, but also Steve Rude. Steve Rude, I, I think... Um, is underrated and i just love everything he does he's he's most he's most well known for his uh his series nexus the executioner which was an independent book but he he's worked on uh, in in marvel and dc too he did the world's finest with um superman and batman yeah the one where i think dave gibbons was the author oh Um, yeah okay yeah, and I just I love the way he did Superman. I love the way he did Batman. You know, and he's also done work for for Marvel. I think he did Man. His Spider Man was excellent. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, evoked the John Romita look a bit. Um. And, but he's done um, a series on the X Men, the Children of the Atom. But so Steve Rude's up there. Uh, Mike Allred, um, yeah, is definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, um, I me mean, yeah, too. We've mentioned him already on the show for his work on Silver Surfer, but his own comic, Mad Men, it has that kind of pop look, you know, that kind of classic comic book look.
0: Father um, Matt, have you have you read iZombie?
2: I, you know what? I, I haven't. I, I really want to read iZombie. Have you? Have it, either of you read I've,
0: it? I've read it, but, and Mike Allred's art on that is is really amazing, exactly how you describe it, too. He, it, it makes you think of that sort of you know 60s soup can kind of uh kind of pop art Mm -hmm.
2: oh absolutely and he's got he's just got that sensibility too in his style like he knows how to do like this sort of like classic american girl next door you know Mm -hmm. like he's popular for his female characters uh, like dawn greenwood right i mean yeah. You can't read that book without falling in love with Don Greenwood immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Or, or um, Joe Josephine is Madman's girlfriend, and, and um, you know he's just he he does that sort of all American girl look for his his characters, which is great. And uh, other artist uh, Dave Gibbons, who's most well known for his his work on Watchmen. Um, I just I think he's a fantastic artist, and if he did nothing else but Watchmen, um, he would still be among the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I I, I I think he's very strong. Um, also, another another Brit, um, Brian Boland, who did the yeah. Killing Joke. Yeah, um, and he frustratingly he hasn't done a lot of um, work. Um, You know, on the insides of comic books, he did the the killing joke in Camelot 3000, but he is probably most well known as a cover artist. He did the covers for uh, a number of different series uh, Animal Man, The Flash, and of course, he kind of reinvented the way that the Joker looks. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and I tend to go for. The classic uh, comic book artists, too, like Steve Ditko and John Ramid as well.
0: Yeah. Like Father Kyle, I'm, I'm not an artist, uh, but art really motivates me in terms of whether or not I stick with a book or not. Uh, and I do, I'll seek out uh, my favorite artists and, and collect them. Uh, my absolute favorite is Amanda Connor. Uh, i i love anything amanda connor does uh if if she doodles on a napkin at a restaurant i would probably bid on it on ebay (laughs) Uh, what i i was trying to think about what i love about her work so much and what she does that i think is great is she straddles the line between cartoony and realistic Mm. so it has a kind of cartooniness to it but not so out of the connection to real life that you that you feel like you're in a cartoon. Um, yeah. And uh, that's a hard thing to accomplish getting both of those sensibilities together. She does an amazing job of telling stories through facial expressions. Right. Um, you look at the especially in her covers, uh, but in her issue work too. I mean you look at what people's faces are doing and you, you know what they're thinking right away, even before you read the panel. Uh, she always has this sort of element of fun in what she does, even when she's drawing something uh, a little heavier or darker. There's always at least a little bit of a wink to it, and I, I like those type of books. And there's always a little bit of irony to it. Um, and uh, I am generally a lover of irony, so um, that speaks to me. She has this great ability of, of drawing these comics, especially with the superhero stuff that she does, of drawing these, these men and women who have, you know as we talked a lot about last time when we were talking about women in comics, the way that uh, comic representations of, of especially women, but both men and women, can be really out of proportion. Amanda Connor does this great job of sort of playing on that and then somehow grounding it. So her women that she draws can, can be sexy without seeming exploitative. And the mm. men she draws look strong, but they don't look impossible the way that uh, some of the builds of these guys look. And also, she does a lot of work with a colorist named Paul Mounts. And uh, I think there's certain combinations of artists with colorists, and that's this is probably worth explaining to people who aren't regular readers of comics, that you have, generally speaking, some, some artists do all of the work together, but usually you have... <laughs> One person who draws, you might have another person who inks. Uh, Then you'll have somebody else who comes in and does the color afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, And when Paul Mounts does the color for Amanda Connor, it's just like they were made to go together. They just they just work really well together. Um, As far as other artists that I love, oh man, so many of them. Uh, Fernando Passarin, Passarin. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. He's a Spanish artist. Uh, did a bunch of work on Batgirl and Green Lantern Corps in the New 52, but he's he's really great. Uh, Fiona Staples, who's uh, probably best known at this point for Saga. Um, not to
1: be confused with Fiona Apple.
0: Not to be confused with Fiona Apple, who is not known <laughs> for Saga, <laughs> although has her own Saga, I suppose. Emanuela Lupacino, who is uh, he's, she's doing the new Starfire book, Um, And she, she did the, towards the end of Supergirl's run, um, which was really great. Uh, Walt Flanagan, who uh, some people may know uh, as the, as the proprietor of uh, Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash, Kevin Smith's comic shop in, um, in, uh, what's the, what's the name of the town that's in, in New Jersey? Red Bank. Red Bank. Thank you. In Red Bank, New Jersey. He's on the show uh, Comic Book Man. Uh, but a lot of people don't realize he's also an artist. and Father Kyle and I made a little pilgrimage there uh, back uh, mm-hmm.
2: towards In the December. end of,
0: yeah, towards the end of last year and met him. Uh, he did a couple of runs of Batman that Kevin Smith wrote. and I bought one of the trades and a real nice guy he took the trade and uh, i asked him if he would sign it not only did he sign it he drew me an original batman picture right on it which is pretty (laughs) yeah pretty darn cool Um, he's
1: so underrated as an artist so underused as an artist in some ways i mean he's done as far as i know he hasn't done a whole lot outside of those kevin smith things, and uh, I think he's one of the greatest artists. Yeah,
0: today. I agree. I think he could, well, and he and he may not want to do more, but I, I think yeah. he, he could do a lot of great stuff. Um, also, Jenny Frizen, um, who, I'm trying to think what she would be most well-known for, probably for some of her work on Red Sonja and Vampirella and a couple of other sort of indie things like that, but she she has a great sort of style that she does. And if we're going back a ways, um, although not that far back, but if we're if we're going back into the the 80s and beyond i would say george perez is probably my favorite from Mm. from that era and uh, neil adams and you know some of those guys so i'm thinking what do all these people have in common um that i like and i think what i figured out is i prefer realism you know all of these various artists i'm talking about uh kind of tend in that direction and the reason why i like the the realism is because when i'm reading a comic i want to feel like it's a plausible story, even if it's crazy. I want to feel like it's something that could really be happening in some other world, and that I could be drawn into it. And in the pursuit of that, you know, little details make a huge difference. You know, one, one of the things that came to mind when I was thinking about this was a particular page in Kevin Smith's run of Daredevil, where where Joe Quesada was the, was the artist um have you all you you guys have read that haven't you
2: oh yeah yeah, the guardian devil Sure.
0: there's one particular page where it's it's a full shot of karen page's face and she's it's something i can't even remember the full context maybe something had just been revealed to her or she just revealed something to him i don't remember but what i remember is her eyes the, the, the detail to her eyes was just so powerful. And part of it was the coloring, part of it was the shading um, and the inking, which was done by Jimmy Palmiotti. Uh But I think part of it was just the general tone of the way that it was drawn. And you just felt her pain. And that was something that I think would not have been communicated as effectively just with the words. It needed that kind of, detail in the drawing to make me actually feel for it.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So now that we know who our favorites are, um, Father Matt, I wonder if you could talk a little bit, since you're the only one of us who's actually an artist yourself or has some some art training, could you talk a little bit about what goes into this kind of work and particularly if there are certain things that you notice um, or think about you know, being an artist yourself, when you look at these pages that uh, ignoramuses like Father Kyle and I wouldn't necessarily pick up on?
2: <laughs> well, I, I don't know if it's necessarily something that you want to pick up on, but I, I had an ambition to draw um, comic books. And when I was in art school, one of my professors, her husband is a famous comic book artist. He's he's, more, he's well known as sort of a uh, an and. Indie artist. His name's Charles Burns. He's done uh, Black Hole, and his wife was uh, Susan Moore, and she was my painting instructor. Well, uh, her husband Charles Burns came to talk to our class, and I remember talking to him about my interest in drawing comic books. And he said something to me that you know, I it, it really struck me because he said, "Listen." if you go and you show your portfolio to one of these big companies like Marvel comics or DC comics, he's like the mistakes a lot of young artists make is they have all these drawings of the superheroes that they've done, but they're just floating in a white page. He's like guys that can draw the superheroes are sort of a dime a dozen. He's like, when you come and show your portfolio, the one of these companies, they want to know that you can draw New York. They want to know that you can draw, um, you know, an automobile or a couch. A lot of times, young artists, they focus so much on, you know, can I draw Captain America? Can I draw Spider-Man or Batman that they don't think, well, you know, I have to be able to make the world that they live in. What does Gotham City look? Can I can I draw a cityscape and make it, you know, um, to scale and in and perspective and, and believable? If it's a shot of Batman in Commissioner Gordon's office, can I draw the office of the commissioner? What does it look like? What kind of furniture's in there? Where are the windows? You know, uh, what sort of things would be out in the desk? Are there lamps? Are there family photos? These are all kinds of... Details that I think you really need to be able to do if, if you're going to be successful at, at drawing comic books, and it, it's an aspect of the artwork that I think we could often take for granted. That you know we're we're more you know looking at the characters and you know how cool they look, but um, you know the the really the more challenging thing is to is to draw the cityscapes and the you know the bedrooms and things like that. The other thing is what I've kind of already brought up when I was talking about Todd McFarlane. Can you draw the supporting cast? Can you draw the regular people that inhabit the comic book? I mean, can you draw children? (laughs) Um, You need to be able to do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And can you make them look consistent? This is sort of a pet peeve of mine. Does Lois Lane look like Lois Lane? And, you know,. It, 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 does she always look the same or is she just you know a brunette in a business suit you know um i agree i that's really important
1: me too um, i think so too
2: nothing bothers me more than when when i'm reading a comic book and uh, they have a guest artist and all of a sudden the main character is like three feet taller and <laughs> you know
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and it's like, and, and everybody looks completely different, you know, and I, I think this was less of a problem with the older books. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's more of a problem now that of the older comic books, it was a simpler, more iconic style, mm-hmm. you know, so Superman always had that stupid curl on his head, you know, <laughs> you know, that Superman, <laughs> you know, one, one of the problems jack kirby had when when he went from marvel to dc he drew superman's pal jimmy olsen and jack kirby had his own way of drawing superman and the editors at dc didn't like it they had another artist go back in and redo all of superman's faces (laughs) because he didn't look like superman um uh you know God, what I mean, a smack in
0: the face i mean kirby must have just been livid about that I,
2: I i can't imagine he was i Here mean he's, you know. he's one of
0: the great comic artists of all time and they just went in and redid his stuff
2: i I and i think in the early issues maybe um you know that's what you could kind of um if you if you get a trade paperback you could kind of see like the faces look different editors had more kind of control over the comics, perhaps, in the early days. Now you have this kind of cult of, like, like big-name artists, mm-hmm. you know, that their sort of egos take over, and, like, you know, every page is, like, a splash page, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of started back in the 90s, really, when, when um, uh, a lot of the artists that, that sort of became, like, these rock stars and left for Image Comics, like, like Todd McFarlane, like Jim Lee and like, uh, Rob, uh, now we've talked about our favorite comic book artists. Uh, it, it, let me get negative for a minute. Rob <laughs> Leefield is one of the worst.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, it's it just like, has completely like invented anatomy and what, would would, would oft, often lift, um, pages like panel for panel from other books you know and it just like it just really seemed unprofessional but this guy was like a huge rock
1: star i, I never really understood that um you know i think his, his artwork was awful and it influenced <laughs> so much when you look at marvel's comics of the 1990s they're all just trying to copy his style it seems like especially within the x-men book during that time period in the 1990s everybody got everybody's costumes got overblown and uh it and ruined right, the anatomy ex- went off and the colors got too almost too colorful like weirdly it mm. just yeah you're right it influenced everybody had these shoulder
2: pads with spikes all over right. them and like pouches hanging from their belt and they would have like you know abs with like 20 you know 20
1: abs right a 20 pack <laughs> Is yeah like
2: no no it's awful he hasn't had a carb in, in 50 years <laughs> and and sort of this random hatching in places where there sh- should not be any shadow <laughs> right
0: is there yeah. um a point at which you guys will jump off a book if the art is bad enough even if you like this the story or the writer I've never
1: done it, but I've come very close to doing it a few times. I, you know, being a lifelong collector of both Batman and Spider-Man, there have been times where I've looked at those books and read those books and thought, why am I continuing to pay for this? I don't particularly enjoy the artwork. And um, just the, uh, the sort of collector in me and the dedicated person in me sticks with it and usually rides it out. But I've been tempted.
2: If the art doesn't do it for me, it's really hard to get into the to the comic book. I mean, unless the writing is just so exceptional. But there's few cases where the artwork has been really bad and the writing really good. You know, there's been times where the artwork's mediocre and the writing's really good that you know I'll, I'll push through.
0: Well, let's let's talk a little bit about historically how Christians have related to art and how the church has related to art and maybe see if there's any sort of connection we can draw here at all. I'm not sure if there is, but there might be, um, you know, the, the church has always had this kind of love hate relationship with art. On the one hand, we can think of examples of Christians really pushing against art and against particularly against depictions of people there you know, was the early church worries about uh, blasphemy and concern about drawing any sort of images of, of God, even images of Jesus himself, um, that that was in some way, shape or form to be creating an idol um, and that people would start to worship the image instead of worshiping God. Um, and then, you know, that same thing resurfaces in the, in the 16th century in the uh, iconoclasm of that time. And uh, you see, for instance, in England, the Puritans kind of going through the churches, smashing any sort of stained glass that they didn't like or something like that. Um, if you ever go to Canterbury Cathedral, the stained glass there has been moved around since its original work so that some of the stuff that was up at the top has now come down to the bottom. And when I asked the the dean there about that, he said, well, that was because the, the images at the top were the only ones that the Okano class didn't smash because they couldn't get up that high, you know. <laughs> so you have that kind of thing on the one hand, but then on the other hand, you have a really strong affirmation historically, at least in the, in the Catholic and Orthodox tradition of certain types of use of imagery um in the west you have the patronage of great art that was generally religious and was done through the church so a lot of artists you know this is part of the reason why a lot of medieval art uh, is religious in nature because the church was the one that was willing to pay for it Um, and you have you know these great incredible pieces of art that were you know, paintings just on their own, or that were, were drawn for the churches, and the sculptures and things that were done in the churches. So you have that in the West, and then in the East, you have the the growth of the tradition of iconography, uh, and the the victory over the iconoclasts in the Seventh Ecumenical Council. I know everybody's writing this all down, right? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the, uh, the basically the affirmation that I- icons. Which are very particular kind of of religious drawing that that's that's really hard to explain in an audio format. Um, but uh, but icons are kind of these small, usually on wood representations, either of Jesus or of a saint, and they tend they're usually looking out at you. There tend to be several different modes of them that get copied over time, and the the idea is that the icon is is a window to the the thing that it's depicting. So when you have an icon of Jesus, that you don't worship the icon. The icon's not Jesus, but the icon, as you look at it, draws you into the reality of Jesus and his presence. And so this is why in Orthodox churches you have these uh, icons uh, all over the place that people light candles in front of and. That's now spread into a lot of Western churches. A lot of our churches now have icons and things like that in them. So there's this back and forth about whether or not art and depiction of of human beings is is something useful and good uh, or something that can lead us in a negative direction. So the question is how should our faith for those of us who are christians how should our faith inform how we look at comic book art does it does it make a difference in how we evaluate the goodness or otherwise of of art in that format the one thing
1: i would say is that i i generally really like uh icons i think that icons are are some of the most beautiful pieces of art that exist out there and i don't think that um that truthfully, there's any problem with having them. You know, sinful man is always going to take good things and turn good things bad. And I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, these pictures that get drawn in the church could be turned bad, but things in and of themselves are not there. Um, I think one of the benefits of having things like icons and stained glass windows that we have in our churches is that it allows us to uh, learn some of the biblical narratives for those who don't read and uh, those who might only be able to um, look at art to be able to look at these things and learn some of the basic stories. And I think that was even the position of a number of the reformers, Um, not the hardline, extreme Calvinists, of course, but the, uh, the Puritans. But I think that some of the reformers respected that idea that people learn by looking at the art that's present in the church
2: well i I think the uh comment that father kyle makes about art being useful um to teach the faith to uh, the illiterate and sort of um communicate the faith in in a visual way yeah you know i I think that's a good and a valid point but it's sort of like an 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 apology for art in the sense of saying well we know that um art is sort of less than ideal, but it's, it's useful. You know, it has a function, um, and that's what makes it good. And I guess it's better than, than you know, sort of being a, a complete iconoclast and not having any art. But I think there's something to be said, um, that art actually has its own unique goodness apart from any function it may serve. That you know, making beautiful art is a good in itself, for, because it's beautiful, and because uh, beauty uh, contributes to the world in 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 its own way, apart from being sort of a secondary, uh, uh, you know, sort of the handmaiden of of, of speech or or, or or words, and I, I think. If that were so, um, you know, then the the sort of word and picture combination kind of becomes a bit redundant. Why illustrate what you could narrate? But I I, I think that the art in comic books uh, brings its sort of its own thing to the medium. It's not an inferior form of writing. It's, you know, it's its own thing. I've never really understood the opposition to, to art that comes from a, a, a lot of uh, religious circles, and it's often been frustrating to me. Uh, like in the in the church where I grew up, there's uh, there was this beautiful painting of, of Jesus appearing to Mary after uh, the resurrection, and you know underneath it said, "I am the resurrection and the life." Well, um, I, I remember it, well, I think I was in high school and. The elders of the church decided to take this thing out because well, they were afraid that it was distracting people from the worship of God. Um, And and that that instead of, you know, lifting their hearts to Christ, that they were, you know, adoring this image that was above the altar, which it, it seemed absurd to me if anything it facilitated the adoration of God because you look at this painting and you you're reminded of the the resurrection and you know the wonder of that moment and and, and Mary's adoration at his feet I, it just seemed completely silly to me uh, so uh you know and I, I think the original kind of prohibition against making a graven image it, it, it had to do with idolatry and it had to do with the human tendency to kind of want to shrink God into uh, understandable, quantifiable uh, forms and and to bow down before that. I I, I don't think that certainly um, comic book art um, has that risk. (laughs) I
0: I agree with that, Father Matt. And uh, it's very foreign to my experience having grown up uh, in, a, in the Catholic tradition in one w- way, shape, or form, um, the idea that art could somehow be uh, problematic is, is very, you know, it's, it's, n- it's never really been on my radar. But I also agree with what you were saying about art having its own good to it uh, beyond just being, a, um, being able to play a supporting role. And particularly, I think that art speaks in a different way And uh, I think that's true whether you're talking about, uh, you know, with any sort of medium. I mean, I think music speaks in a different way. I think that um, sculpture speaks in a different way than than, um, two-dimensional art does. And it's not really easy for me to quantify what that difference is. But I know that I experience something on a different level when I'm looking at an image of it. Uh, than I do even with just a, with just a description of it. And um, in comics, that is particularly moving to me because, you know, I love language. I've always been a language guy. I can't draw anything. My stick figures don't even look like decent stick figures. But nevertheless, when I'm reading a, a really wonderful story in a comic the imagery itself, not only does it tell the story if it's doing its job right, but it hits me on another level that the words didn't necessarily hit me on. And I think that's true if we're talking about depictions with the faith as well. You know, being able to see something like a crucifix or an icon can communicate the gospel it's not you know it's not just that it's supporting the communication of the gospel through speaking words it actually is communicating the gospel but in a different way into a different to a different part of me you know um and i think it's one of the great gifts of god that we are able to do that because if you think about it it's one of the things that makes us as as um as creatures unique i mean you know other other creatures by and large don't have speech but there are animals that are able to communicate with each other through various uh kinds of sounds and things like that but i don't believe there's any correct me if i'm wrong i don't believe there's any other creature that draws depictions of you know of other human beings um no. is there
1: no I don't think so.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, well, some some people argued that that one gorilla that spoke sign language made paintings. Uh, <laughs> uh. But I, I I think the jury's still out on that one. Um, <laughs> but but I, I think that's an important point. So comic books, you know, at, at their beginning, they were sort of seen as as it was sort of seen as a medium for children or or the simple like or illiterate. Um, and that, you know, um, it was just, you know, altogether, um, you know, a higher form of art, um, to, to, to read, um, you know, a novel. Of course, novels went through their period where they were considered sort of, a, a, you know, a childish form of artwork too. And I think the attitude's sort of changing that, um, you know, a graphic novel as, as, as you know, the, the, they're called now, <laughs> um, isn't just like an inferior novel or a novel for the less sophisticated. You know, it's it's a medium that has its own strengths and it, it deserves its own kind of it deserves its own kind of respect that it, it does something unique. Like film does something unique, like photography does something unique, or painting, or sculpture, or what have you. I, I you know, I, I sometimes worry now, now that the, all these comic books are ma- being made into movies. Um, I, you know, I, I sometimes worry that that um, that the comic book will be seen as something. Well, this is this is a good you know kind of fodder for filmmaking. But that, I mean, that's sort of a, a, a different point, um, rather than being a, a thing that's, that's good in itself.
0: Well, and I, I don't think so anyway, because there are certain things that are just never going to be exactly the same. And when you depict something on a screen, you know, that is its own sort of piece of art, and it can't do the same thing that the drawing can do. And in some cases, it literally can't. I mean, just to give you an example, the, the first issue of the new Starfire book, uh, that just came out this past week. Um, one of the kind of neat things they've done with this is, so Starfire being a, an alien uh, who's who's come to Earth and has always been a little bit naive. she's She has a little bit of difficulty understanding metaphors when people use metaphors. Uh, they visually depict this in the book. So when, when, uh, somebody says, uh, something like, oh, these, these, you know, you're grown men, but you're acting like children, they show a little tiny specific kind of bubble next to her where she's picturing grown men dressed up like children. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, or somebody said, yeah. oh, I, you know, I'll give you three big ones for that. And they show her picturing elephants, uh, that she thinks that's what she's going to get paid in. So, you know, there are things that you can do uh, with, with that kind of visual art that you wouldn't be able to depict exactly the same on a screen, unless it's a cartoon.
2: And, yeah, and I, I think the more kind of comic books exploit that unique strength, the, the better. Um, Scott McCloud, in, in, in his graphic novel The Sculptor, does a lot of those kind of visual metaphors, uh, you know, stuff that, that, that you could only do in a comic book.
0: Well, uh, there's always a lot more that we can say on this, as is true with just about everything that we talk about on here. Uh, we'd love to hear who some of your favorite artists are and what you love about great art. Hit us up on Twitter, twitter.com slash godandcomics, or you can go to our Facebook page and, and tell us uh, tell us a little bit more. But right now, we're going to move to our final segment, This or That. This or That. This or That. Come on, everybody. Let's this or that. Huh? father kyle uh take it away
1: all right my first one this week is for father jonathan captain marvel carol danvers or captain marvel marvel
0: Oh, that's easy captain marvel carol danvers that's one of the really great uh great books right now is kelly sue DeConnick's. uh Captain Marvel and I'll tell you what in terms of the stuff that's coming up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe I'm very excited about the Captain Marvel movie and what's going to happen with that. I think she's an amazing character.
2: That's the potential for being a
1: really fun movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alright, Father Matt. Julie Newmar or Eartha Kitt as Catwoman? Well, you know, Er Eartha Kitt sort
2: of brought a lot to the character that was fun <laughs> but um i, I mean it, it she it was almost a little bit too cartoonish i so i i don't know i i think as, as a kid i i definitely sort of prefer for julie newmar but that might have been because you know i was i was crushing on julie newmar.
0: <laughs> oh man julie newmar whoo Good, goodness gracious the only thing i didn't like with julie newmar was that they would like scotch tape extra hair onto her eyebrows i don't really understand the reason <laughs> Just for to go up yeah so
1: it was like yeah <laughs> you're right <laughs> all right father jonathan um marvin and wendy or the wonder twins uh
0: this is i think this this question may go above my pay grade i'm not really those that, that's all from super <laughs> friends right
1: that's from the super friends yes
0: um yeah and i i just i i don't remember super friends last time i saw super friends i was three years old so i don't really remember uh, it well enough to uh to answer that well, now question you
1: have, now you have homework for the god
0: i'll go with i'll go with wonder twins because um it's fun to say wonder twins yes <laughs> the wonder
1: twins were probably that's the right answer the wonder okay twins were probably characters definitely Marvin and Wendy had no powers they were just some teenagers that kind of tagged along with the Justice League and and uh, Marvin wore a uniform that had a big basically a long sleeve t-shirt with a big M on it and a green cape um, but they were were wannabe superheroes and they had, had their dog too who came along with them <laughs> By the way, there was a very funny incident in a, uh, the free comic book day issue of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? I got it for my daughter, and we were reading it. They encounter the Justice League, and they, the Scooby-Doo gang needs to wear the costumes. So two of them get the Wonder Twins costume. One of them gets Marvin and Wendy's costume, and they ask about Marvin and Wendy, and they give their history now that one's working in the government, the other they can't talk about anymore. <laughs> it's a very funny follow-up. All right, Father Matt, Walking Dead or Night of the Living Dead? Oh, I think Walking Dead. um, If
2: only because it's just, there's more space to it. Now, I I mean, you know, it's been longer. But also, uh, I I think the really compelling thing about The Walking Dead um, is that it it ceased to be so much about the zombies, and now it's more about the people. Yeah. Uh, and living in, in, in this sort of world, that's you know, um, you know, finding a reason to go on. Um, so I, I think Walking Dead has that, where uh, where The Night of the Living Dead just you know didn't explore that so much. But definitely yeah.
1: Walking Dead. Good choice. I agree. All right, uh, Father Jonathan, baptismal regeneration or symbolical baptism? <laughs>
0: Well, uh, seeing as baptismal regeneration is the uh, true biblical and Catholic faith, I'm going to have to go with that one over uh, symbolic uh, baptismal mojo or whatever it was you just said there.
2: Symbolical?
0: Symbolical. It's symbolical, symbolical, everyone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And your answer would be the right answer.
0: That is, that's right. There you go.
1: There's no way around that. Um... Father Matt, uh, the new international version or the English standard version of the Bible?
2: Well, that's hard to say. I mean, I, I think they they both have their strengths, but um, I I'd probably say the English standard version.
0: Now, see, that's it's a heretical question, is what you should have told him. You tell him it's KJV or nothing. Hey.
2: <laughs> If the King James was good
0: enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me.
1: (laughs) Father Jonathan, vegetarian or carnivore?
0: Is omnivore not an option?
1: Well, omnivore can be.
0: Okay, I guess I'll go with omnivore. I was a vegetarian for a long time. I don't think it's possible to be a carnivore without dying of scurvy. So, um, (laughs) you know... Omnivore. You're an I. I make a brave effort, at it Let me tell you. <laughs> yes. me, exclusively.
2: But no, I. I think at least I eat bread. I eat a lot of bread. <laughs> at least you eat bread. I don't think that's gonna save you from scurvy.
0: <laughs> at least I'm just well, pounding carbs like there's no tomorrow. At least there's that. I,
2: I, you know, there's the Fiesta Lime Chicken. So you know, I get that. Okay, you got a little citrus
0: in there. Yeah. I sometimes will tell my wife that uh, if I drink a ginger ale with dinner, I'm having something green, so that counts as a vegetable.
2: Oh. My my wife doesn't think that french fries count as a vegetable.
0: Now, see, that's just a crime. They're potatoes. They're vegetables.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) Tomato on pizza, that's a
1: vegetable. Father Matt, the Kinks or the Rolling Stones? Oh, two excellent bands. But,
2: um, I, I mean, if I really had to pick one, like if it was at
1: gunpoint, I'd have to say the Rolling Stones. Yeah. yeah, I think their canon on a whole is stronger than the Kinks, personally speaking, although I think the Kinks are an excellent band as well
0: definitely, I'd, I'd like to see the situation that would arise in which you would be asked at gunpoint to choose between those two,
2: <laughs> well, you know if I was you know kidnapped by a few like radical rock and roll revolutionaries <laughs>
0: hipster terrorism
2: when the, when the
1: hipsters take over, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> speaking of hipsters father jonathan this one is for you and this may take a little bit of explaining but i'll ask you the simple version first and then explain it to you the acronym beard that belongs to lutheranism or the acronym tulip that belongs to calvinism
0: now i'm familiar with tulip i'm not so familiar with beard can you explain Uh, beard
1: you have not heard beard yet no so beard is bondage of the will um, the efficacy of baptism, uh, the absolution, uh, the let me find what that other one is for one moment. Uh,
0: Romanism.
1: The last, the oh. last is uh, the distinction of law and gospel, and oh, uh, the real presence is the, the real presence. Okay. Yes. Wow. As opposed to TULIP, for those of you listening, which is total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints.
0: Wow. Um, I guess I'll go with BEARD. I probably hit more of those than 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 TULIP, although I think I'd rather just not have any acronyms to... Uh... <laughs> define myself with i'm good with the nicene creed if you can make an acronym out of that
1: (laughs) father matt uh christopher reeve or henry cavill cable however you say that as superman oh well christopher reeve i mean christopher reeve is superman
0: absolutely Um, (laughs) yes
2: yeah what was and the um the like half remake uh is, is he from Superman Returns or the new one, The No, the newest one, the, yeah. the Man of Steel. Oh, well, He's the Superman one now. Yeah. There's just no contests.
1: Yeah. Well, that is all I have for today.
0: Okay, well, in that case, that's all we have for our program today. Thank you guys for uh, jumping in on this. If you like the program, you can go to our website, gottencomics.com. You can take another listen to it there. We always put up show extras as well, a bunch of things that we've talked about in today's program. So feel free to check us out there. You can also subscribe to the show via iTunes. And while you're there, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and a review, we would be most glad for that. It helps other people to find the show. Our theme music, which is done by Father Paul Wheatley, is what you are hopefully banging your head to right this moment. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michikin.
1: I'm Father Kyle Thomas.
2: I'm
0: Father Matt Strumber. And we will see you later.